situation we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network. The world for people who think... Hello, everyone. Welcome to Behind the Headlines. I'm Neil Bradley. Joining me in the studio this week, Joe Quinn. Hi there. And also, we've got Elan Martin. Hello, everyone. Harrison Keeley is also with us. Greetings. Okay, this week, the big news is this new WikiLeaks dump. Uh, year zero, they're calling this set of files from supposedly the CIA's Cyber Warfare Division. Uh, it's some pretty interesting stuff. On the one hand, you know, we all know pretty much what the CIA and similar intel agencies are capable of, both in terms of their motivations and intentions and technologically. But this is nice, you know, confirmation. At least this is getting some mainstream coverage of just how dire the situation is and how diabolical these people are. So we'll be discussing that mostly today. We'll have a few other topics we want to cover. There's a crisis flaring up in the Netherlands, um, which is very interesting timing because in four days' time, Dutch people go to the polls. And uh, there's a potential upset on the cards there with another anti-establishment politician leading the polls, I believe, Gerd Wilders. So we're also going to get into that topic. It's 1 p.m. in the U.S. We're sorry to any listeners who we didn't inform about a time change. You guys are now listening to the show an hour later. Am I right? No, they're listening to the same time. An hour. Daylight savings time is nuts. I mean, you know know it messes with your head. You don't actually... Your your biorhythms... I'm feeling it. You're feeling it. Your biorhythms don't... don't, It takes about six months to reset. No. At which point... That's only if you're weird. Six months? Apparently there are long-term effects, (laughs) at which point it's kicked off again. Because it's changed again. You get it back later in the year. It's all right. Yeah, but that means you're messed up and you're recovering and then you're messed up again. Uh, well, that just means we're all com- perpetually messed up. Well, you wonder why it's most prevalent in the West. And, you know, mm. anyway. Because um, Russia stopped doing this about 10 years ago, or five years ago. They just said, to hell with this. And they're not alone. There are other countries as well. They don't bother. Anyway, so our main topic today... Vault 7, um, Julian Assange, or I presume it was Assange, was, began cryptically tweeting about this about a month ago. What is Vault 7? Who is Vault 7? How? What's in Vault 7? Why? Where does it come from? Uh, it was intriguing. So they clearly they'd been working on it for a while. And um, last Tuesday issued a press release and some background info facts and so on. So, gentlemen, what are we dealing with here? What are some of the basic facts about this trove of data? It's fake news. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, so far... Wait, the um, data's real, but the news is fake. It's all fake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because, because so much of it is fake. Well, according to Assange, this is just about 1% or less of 
the documents that they've already that they actually have and are uh, planning to release. Uh, I suppose most of them, um, about eight thousand plus, um, you know, individual documents in this um, torrent, or I think that's how they they made it available. All like you said, allegedly from the CIA cyber warfare um, department. It's being called the biggest um, leak of CIA documents ever. And it contains, you know, I'm not a techie, so I can't get into all the details, but uh, from my understanding, it basically contains um, like communications and um, descriptions of basically the cyber warfare capabilities and tools that um, that these guys can use. Um, I, I think there's, I read a number that there's something like, um, I think from the documents, they say that there's something like, I remember 500 guys working in this like field in the CIA, I guess. I can't I remember if that's the, the, five the thousand. number or not. 5,000? Okay. 5, 000, yeah. Okay. And so these are all the, all their kind of tricks and tools that they, they can use uh, presumably on whomever, because the, the capabilities have to do with essentially hacking into any kind of, you know, personal device, whether it's your cell phone, your smart, you know, Samsung TV, uh, your car, um, any kind of anything with a, you know, network and a computer system in it. And all and they're, you know, they're hacking capabilities for hacking, you know, foreign governments or, um, you know, infrastructure. And so in these documents, there's some interesting tidbits that have been released so far because I think even WikiLeaks said they didn't actually go through all the documents, so they don't even know everything that's in them yet. But um, in the ones that they have released, there's, um, you know, aside from what I just mentioned, there's the um, the ability that the that they say to essentially stage kind of like false flag hack attacks. Uh, well, the the most interesting thing for that I well lately yesterday um, WikiLeaks tweeted out this this tweet. I'm just going to read it out. So WikiLeaks says CIA virus creation rules show obsession with avoiding U.S. attribution for its attacks and evading forensic analysis. So there's three little quotes they've got in the picture with this tweet. I'll just read them out. <clears throat> First one says, do not, caps, leave dates, times, such as compile st- timestamps, linker timestamps, build times, access times, etc., that correlate to general U.S. core working hours. That is 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Number two, do not leave data in a binary file that demonstrates CIA, U.S. government, or its winning partner companies' involvement in the creation or use of the binary slash tool. Number three, do not have data that contains CIA and U.S. government cover terms, compartments, operation code names, or other CIA and U.S. government-specific terminology in the binary. So we put this up on SOT on the on the article we've got the best of the web and this is a comment that we've got there um because there's a there's a um there's an implication in this so these are what they're saying okay when we do an, an attack do not do these things like basically don't make it obvious that we did it cover your tracks right. cover yeah. your tracks so in other words um so you'd think you know the, the logical you know conclusion to draw to draw from this is when making a hack look like it was done by a third party number one do leave uh, dates and timestamps that correlate to general foreign core working hours do right. leave data in a binary file that demonstrates foreign involvement in the creation or use of the tool. 
do have data that contains foreign covered terms, compartments, operation code names, and other foreign specific terminology in the binary. And what were they saying, you know, for months after these so-called, you know, Russian hacks um, for, the, for the DNC? They're saying, oh, well, we know it was the Russians because they had the Russian timestamps from the working hours in Moscow. They had the, um, the code names in there that were known Russian hackers. They had uh, foreign language, um, you know, stuff. All these things mm-hmm. that the, the CIA says, oh, make sure to leave these out of our foreign hacks to avoid, you know, them knowing it's us. We had all of that in the Russians. So, of course, at the time, everyone was saying, Do you, you know, the Russians aren't that stupid. They're not going to, you know, these high-level hackers aren't going to leave such obvious things. This is obviously a, you know, uh, a planted, um, you know, trail of evidence to lead back to Russia. And so now we've got the, you know, these documents from the CIA themselves, you know, allegedly, I'll say, but, you know, I'm pretty sure they're probably legit, saying to do exactly that, um, which is just, I, I think that was kind of funny it's kind of like the uh what we already knew but it's kind of nice to actually see it in writing that um that you know professional hackers working for intelligence agencies are aware of these things and this is what they do uh which you shouldn't really need the the confirmation because it's pretty obvious on the face of it but there it is yeah this was actually um talked about by ed snowden back in 2013 some of his initial interviews he gave to South China Morning Post while he was still in Hong Kong, um, he said he had evidence of the NSA implanting malware in systems in Japan, in China, and elsewhere. So in both enemy, in quotes, and friendly, in quotes, countries, they they run amok, basically, and they have essentially jerry-rigged their infrastructure, their IT infrastructure, um, for the purpose mm-hmm. of blackmailing them. So if you don't do some, if you do something or don't do something we do or don't like, you know we can pull the plug on something or threaten to, or do it and pretend it's a third party like Russia. Um, however, none of that ever came out via the Guardian, Greenwald, um, and anyone else. The uh, Washington Post, I think, was given some of the data. The Guardian, of course, destroyed everything like within weeks because MI6 was down in this basement after the initial leaks, which were mainly focused on um, IT companies and their surveillance capabilities of, you know, the general public. But this other stuff that Snowden was talking about, uh, which he said, I can prove, they sat on. And this time around, it's different. Assange has a different approach to it than Snowden. Snowden was like, I trust you journalists to be responsible with this data, so you are going to inform the public, and here you go. I will not, I wash my hands of it. Whereas Assange has it, and he goes, okay, I don't trust the Guardian anymore, so I'm going to do it myself. And so now we actually have the evidence of what everyone already knew, but anyway, it's it's good that it's out. Um, well, just one interesting obs- observation I wanted to make is that for years... In the kind of mainstream, um, let's say, just general media environment, so movies, TV, um, and news, there's a kind of trend where, if you look at the way that the CIA is portrayed, for example, in movies, there's kind of two trends. And these are in movies that actually have CIA involvement. There's the kind of um, CIA is the bad guys, where which is usually portrays any kind of CIA, bad CIA person as kind of a... a a rogue operator that then, you know, either either gets away with it or gets caught and, you know, the CIA ends up being the, the good guys. 
some were there. Well, maybe there's three. There's some where the CIA are just bad guys, but the other one is where the the CIA role gets kind of covered up, and it gets replaced by some kind of third uh, or you know some other intel, some other agency. And probably the biggest example of that was the movie Enemy of the State with Will Smith, where it was all the NSA. And the NSA was portrayed um, as being like these super bad guys. Again, it was kind of like a rogue rogue division within the NSA, but it was someone pretty high up running this kind of off-the-books operation. Um, and But the NSA was doing all kinds of like black ops, and they had field operatives, you know, killing people and stuff. And so some critics of the movie were like, well, I mean, this is so ridiculous because um, like that's what the CIA does. They're kind of putting it all off on the NSA. Mm-hmm. And even in, in the news with all these leaks, it's, it's always the, the NSA. Oh, the NSA is so evil. But, you know, you, ha- you haven't really heard about the, the CIA. So I found it interesting that this is coming out about the CIA now um, and showing that the CIA actually does that stuff, does this stuff. And not only that, they actually have their own kind of like NSA type, you know, faction within the CIA that, that does this cyber warfare stuff. Well, um, which... Mm-hmm. For what it's worth, there's a prosaic explanation for it, um, which Assange has explained in the last week. Um, yeah. Up until quite recently, the NSA's budget was like one and a half times the CIA's. Mm-hmm. And it's only in recent years that it's actually matched and overtaken the size of the NSA's budget. And and that the CIA has only developed this equivalent um, total surveillance cyber hacking capability in in the period since 9-11. That previously, that was the remit of the NSA, and now there's a sort of separate and probably overlapping capability within the CIA. And that part of the reason for developing this was because since the Snowden leaks in 2013, the NSA at least has... I won't even say it has... There's oversight over it, but it, it's had attention shone on it. Whereas the CIA is then taking up the torch in the dark, you know, I'm, I'm mixing my metaphors here, but they, they've been doing this completely off the books, so to speak, while the attention and the official legal oversight in the U.S., within the U.S. government is focused on the NSA. So that's the kind of prosaic reason for why the CIA has this capability also. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Just a comment. Um it's it's very interesting to to see how the CIA's use of false flags, you know, blaming uh, one party for an attack on another group, um, it gets transplanted into uh, cyber warfare. Uh, it's like uh, you know, this is their mo. This is how they operate in any sphere that they choose to uh, to make war with. Um, you know, it's it's just a new part of their uh, dirty tricks toolkit. Um, so that that's one of the things that's been highlighted, I think, to me, uh, which is just that the CIA is uh, has found another tool uh, from which to or to attack. Uh, yeah, it's but to 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 remind people of how unnew this is, I I I remember reports. Um, at least 10 years ago, um, not based on intel like this, you know, on leaks that could confirm or deny, but on, on analysis showing that um, the proliferation of spam 
and malware and Trojans, which were, you know, assumed to be a natural side effect of the development of the internet and communications all around the world, were substantially like 90% or something created by governments for various purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we now have a good idea of what those purposes were all along. So, what were they? Well, they were for the purpose of infecting computers um, in order to monitor what's going on, for the purpose of uh, disrupting systems. So the malware might be dormant or might immediately start taking effect and effectively cause it to be shut down, to become, mm. to destroy it, or to at least require, uh, to delay its, its development, to have to force the other side to rethink and rebuild. Um, the most infamous example in the last decade, post 9-11, is Stuxnet. Um, mm-hmm. Smart analysis is now proven correct that it was basically an American creation in conjunction with the Israeli cyber warfare. It seems it was a joint effort to um, develop something specifically that would target Iran's IT systems. Uh, I think it had the desired effect, but it had this unintended, unintended consequences. In fact, they made a documentary about about Stuxnet and how it managed it without any... People are talking about uh, in these current leaks, um, oh, you know, that's dangerous because the CIA has lost control of this stuff because others can now see it and then use these tools as malware and re-kit them and then fire them back at the US, for example. But besides anyone actually taking the stuff and, you know, consciously, manually um, using these viruses, they can also have generate a life of their own. You know, they're dangerous things. Uh, so in the Stuxnet case, it had immediate unintended consequences um, like throughout Iran and then beyond. Everything's all interconnected, so you can't be sure that something's just going to target exactly what you're after. Um, on Stuxnet, by the way, there was there's a documentary from last year called Zero, Zero Days. Um, I think it's a techie term. Maybe someone can... If anyone's familiar with that, I think it's a reference to something in programming, in, uh-huh. in software programming. Anyway, Zero Days, that's probably what, where the title of this first tranche, Year Zero, year zero comes from. Um, it's a reference to Stuxnet. They're, they've made a couple of other references, like the, the past phrase that WikiLeaks tweeted for anyone wishing to access the torrent file on, 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 this data, on these uh, documents is something uh, attributed to JFK in an infamous editorial, infamous, famous editorial, um, shortly before he was assassinated. Uh, hmm. Splinter it into a thousand pieces and scatter it into the, to the winds. That's like one word. That's your passphrase to, to access this Tarn file. That's uh, almost verbatim quote from a New York Times op-ed Ghost written by someone else before JFK. It was his message to the CIA that he was going to break up the organization way back in 1963, and it kind of reveals, or you know, let's let's just in on what Assange is up, you know, after here is he's, he's, he's taken on the CIA slash. It, it reveals what Assange would like to think yeah. is going to be the result of this. Uh, although I doubt it, but I doubt it seriously because. Um, 
yeah, th- th- this kind of thing doesn't really phase these people, you know, because there's two types of uh, responses. And we've seen this in, in terms of leaks in the past from uh, Edward Snowden and people like that uh, who revealed the, the extent of the spying, for example, on on the average people, the spying that these intel agencies in the West engage in. And yeah, people were like, oh, that's not good, is it? I don't like that. Anyway, what's on TV tonight? So they kind of forget about it, and uh, I'd say even probably uh, more likely is that a lot of people, maybe, maybe a split, but there's a lot of people who say, who probably think, oh, I better watch myself, you know, and it, it has a cowing uh, kind of uh, influence on people. It's not going to cause people to rise up and overthrow the government and take out the head of the CIA and, you know, publicly execute them or something like that, or throw them in prison, you know, it's... This kind of thing is for a lot of people who tend towards being kind of authoritarian followers. It almost has a, um, they're kind of almost uh, awestruck in a certain sense, or uh, they feel uh, they feel cowed in that way, and 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 nothing nothing changes, you know. Uh, and usually, the people who have a problem with this kind of thing are the people who don't do anything about it because they're not sure, you know. Um, <coughs> They're a bit more neurotic and less uh, less sure of themselves than, than authoritarian types who just say, yeah, we'll just support your government, whatever. It must be for a good reason. If you've got nothing to hide, then you've got nothing to fear. That kind of response. You must say there's a lot, a lot of people who have that response. But um, if you noticed in our in the description of today's show, um, we said that the documents revealed by WikiLeaks uh, show that there was a hyper focus on spying on other elites. Um, of course, there was spying on the public as well, but that whole spying on the public thing is you know, grabbing the metadata, i.e., every phone call, every email, every text message, every post on Facebook, every tweet, <laughs> every Instagram picture. Uh, what and anything else you can think of, really? They're collecting that, what the CIA is collecting that on every American, so 320 million people? Well, maybe not the children so much, but let's say upwards of upper the upper end of 200 million people are collecting that data on every single person and what some algorithm or some uh, on a computer, on a large computer, on a bunch of computers is deciding what's important. Uh, that's where people get this idea of, well, if you nothing to hide, nothing, nothing to fear. Because, I mean, obviously the vast majority of that information, and I mean the vast majority of it, is completely useless. Uh, it, it's of no concern to the CIA or anybody else. What I and it never gets looked at. It never, yeah. It's, a, it's, some, it's some program, some computer program that is, is looking mm-hmm. for keywords or whatever. And, and it'll flag a bunch of keywords. Because, sure, there's lots of people who write, uh, you know, bomb or, you know, chemical and the word attack, you know, uh, my neighbor's dog attacked me and I had to use a chemical spray <laughs> and the computer goes, oh my God, we got one, terrorist, quick, send a SWAT team down to his house. Uh, no, that doesn't happen. So this whole thing is just nonsense. And I mean, the whole collection of all that data is just a load of nonsense. I can't imagine what it's for other than target maybe like what you were saying earlier on you know, about spam targeting people you can get a lot of information from for companies from the, from that information that would be allow people to be targeted with spam yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that kind of thing but the the their focus on 
as we said in the in the description, a hyper focus on spying on, on other elites um, is, I think, more interesting and something that they would dedicate more of their time to. It's essentially kind of industrial espionage or political espionage going on, blackmailing, all that kind of stuff, collecting data so they control so they can control other people, have influence. It's a form. It's a form of warfare, you know. Um, and obviously, I'd say Russia was. You know, high up on that list of of attempts to spy on, and they're not, you know, not limited to Russia, obviously, but because uh, obviously they want to spy on everybody and any, anybody is, as far as the America America's concerned, uh, the American government is concerned, the American intel agencies are concerned, anybody's potentially their enemy, even their friends, you know. But Russia would probably figure pretty large in what they've been doing over the past few years, especially since, um, you know, in the past three four years since Ukraine, that kind of thing. And um, in a certain sense, you could see that Russia, um, kind of Russia indirectly spared Western people, or Russia and China, and the fact that there's an opposition to Western global hegemony uh, that has risen up particularly in the past four or five years uh, and, and attracted the attention of these, uh, these megalomaniacs in the West uh, kind of spared the maybe the worst excesses of the attention of those kind of people on that would otherwise be directed towards the ordinary people of of of, of America and of the West. You know, I mean, if everybody, if the whole world was made in America's image and they're nothing to worry about, well, then a lot of this, a lot of this technology and manpower and stuff that goes into kind of total information awareness would be focused, yeah, on people. You know, uh, because what else are they going to use it for? You know, but um, in that sense. Uh, Russia, I think, has taken, drawn attention away and given them basically something to think about, which is to be, you know, uh, we should be thankful for it in a certain sense, you know, um, <clears throat> that this global hegemon in, in, in the West, in, in the USA, or the, uh, the Atlanticists, or the globalists, whatever you want to call them, they, um, <clears throat> you know, they've been, the fact that Russia has risen up in the past few years, and China as well, <clears throat> is, uh, you know, something to occupy them and give them uh, give them something to to uh, to focus their attention on rather than harassing ordinary people so much, you know. Yep. Well, um, just getting just getting back to your point uh, about um, the, the kind of nature of the, the leak. Um, there are folks. I think Webster Tarpley came out not too long ago and said that, um, in fact. One purpose of the entire leak, uh, the WikiLeaks um, venture, is to get people acclimated to the idea that they're being that there's this total information uh, that they have no privacy that that um, that they're uh, that they're being spied on, uh, and and that uh, you know it's kind of like a double-edged sword in one sense because. Uh, yes, now we're finding out that uh, indeed the U.S. can can hack a, another system and make it look like Russia, and and so this dispels a, a lot of what we've been told uh, that Russia was doing. On the flip side, um, you know, we're now uh, faced with a bunch of people who are either indifferent to it or numb or just kind of going along with the the acceptance of being spied upon uh in in every major way and uh it's kind of like you know being challenged to to question whether or not you even care about such a thing 
mm-hmm. or, or that you're just giving yourself up to the will of the powers that be, the intelligence agencies, you know, um, yeah. because I'm broad- sure on some level, everybody's being, all the reactions and responses are being observed. Yeah, it's, in a broad it's, sense, it's, it's kind of a, a testing of the will in a certain sense of the people, you know, to see you get a read on. I mean, if you're, imagine you're, you're in the position of someone, <clears throat> of, of an elite on this planet who, you know, rightfully thinks that they have all this control and power and our reality creators can do what they want. Well, what do they have to fear? Uh, particularly as they, as they believe they accrue more and more power to themselves and lock everything down. What do they have to fear from the people from the release of information? Um, in particular, about the extent of their power. Uh, they're probably pretty sure that when people become aware as they, you know, leaks happen or they allow leaks to happen on purpose for that specific purpose of, of watching people's reaction and being fairly confident that people are just going to go, oh, crap, you know, uh, they're spying on us everywhere. We, we can't do anything. Uh, and just people will just accept it, you know, and they'll be very happy about the fact that people will just, just accept it. And, but that's bad because then they, <clears throat> they, from, from that, with that kind of feedback, they would then implement the next level of what, of, of kind of control or totalitarianism in, in, in a country or in parts of the world where, uh, where, where people would then be expected to accept that as well, you know, to do nothing. Every, every, every time you, you become aware of this information <clears throat> and do nothing, uh, well, then they say, okay, you don't mind that. How about this? <laughs> right. So we're in a kind of open air prison, and and we're being reminded of who the uh, the jailers are, um, and uh, and challenged. You know, what mm-hmm. are you going to do about it? Nothing. Yeah. Um, what what power do you have uh, to do anything about it? You can even go on a show and say that this is illegal and mm-hmm. unconstitutional. Right. And and we'll and we'll still be here and we'll still do it and it you know what change. we'll do it even more. No. Yeah. Well, but I think um, like whenever there's a leak like this that happens, there's people that say that it's a you know a limited hangout and that um, you know even that like Ed Snowden maybe is like you know he's actually working for the CIA and releasing this on purpose for that ex- for that express purpose. Um. I don't know how much I'd I'd go that far um, with these sorts of things because if you think about it, any whistleblower release, even if they're totally genuine, is going to be a limited hangout because the only people that know everything and would be able to tell you everything you need to know, the most important information, mm-hmm. are the people at the very top who are probably the least likely to leak anything. Mm-hmm. The people who are li- likely to leak anything are going to be relatively low level who, you know, haven't been totally vetted. They haven't been, you know, accepted in the secret club yet because they're, you know, totally on board with the agenda. So they're going to find something they don't like and they're going to release it. And it's only going to be part of the picture. So then when it gets released, you know, all the kind of cynical conspiracy theorists are going to be like, oh, well, they didn't say everything. So they must be, you know, it must be a total limited hangout and this is all designed to control us. When I think that's more of just the effect of a, of an actual genuine release. So if someone leaks something out, like you said, these people don't really care that much because they know they have this much control. And the effect is going to be that a few people are going to be really upset about it. 
and the rest are just going to internalize it and be like, oh my God, maybe they're, and maybe they're even going to get more scared. And that's what we see with like Snowden, you know, people start, stop talking less about these sorts of things because they think they might be being watched, but it's all just kind of effect of an effect of what just happens when something like this, you know, goes on, you have a whistleblower, they see something they don't like, they release it. And they're part of a bigger system. They don't see the big picture and they don't see necessarily how in the unintended effects of what they themselves are doing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, at least with this latest CIA one, like the, the explanation given, I think by Assange, I didn't see his press conference yet, but I've just read some kind of summaries of it <clears throat> is that he basically said, uh, like Neil, you kind of hinted at it earlier that this, just the, the nature of what goes on, like the CIA develops these tools, their information, their computer information, right? There's they, it's information is pretty much open and the, the CIA uses all these kind of external contractors and they basically just ended up sharing around all these tools and stuff and basically losing control of it because how do you control, you know, a bit of data? Exactly. Uh, especially when you're sharing it around. Mm -hmm. So then it gets around and you've got these, these contractors that, uh, you know, don't even work, you know, strictly speaking, for the CIA. They just do work for them once in a while. But then they're not connected to the network, but they've got these things. So now you've got all these tools that are on their computers. And um, and then it just eventually it gets out. And so the the idea, at least now, I, I, I don't know if Assange has said this for certain or not, but is the idea is that this these documents um, came from one of those contractors. It's, you know, one of this extended network of people that have at one point or another in the past four years worked with the CIA and now have these in their possession and can now, you know, once they get around enough, you know, someone gets them and says, oh, look at this. I'm going to send it to WikiLeaks. And this person might not even have any connection to the to the CIA or, you know, one or two degrees removed. So this stuff yeah. just kind of happens. My understanding of it is that the, what, the, what's, what's new the thing that is news this week is that the story is being told in one kind of complete picture. This is what's going on. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the secrecy of the information of the specific data, so the specific program, the specific method of spying on someone or destroying their infrastructure or something, um, is, is open and available to anyone willing to find out. So, for example, an IT guy in Iran can work something out once he comes across the problem. And he can even, he can even like, leave it alone. He can, he can copy it. He can open it up somewhere safely and, and, and redevelop it, just like the Iranians did in, in hardware. For example, they, they've been able to remote control um, uh, hijacks of U.S. drones flying over their country, land them safely, open them up, see what they're about, replicate them, and then they'll start mass-producing their own drones, which are just as effective or possibly even have an advantage over the U.S. that the U.S. will have to then capture an Iranian drone to figure that out. So this is happening at the level of, of each of these cyber weapons, and this is what Assange means when he says that the CIA has lost control of its entire cyber warfare arsenal, because once you use something... Everyone else has access. It's the very nature of IT and software and computers. Even if you try to maintain it in a hierarchical format, you know, you've got to pay for this product strictly, you know, and ultimately it's all controlled by the boss, the CEO at the top. The very nature of informatics is that it's, it levels out. That's why Linux is so successful. That's why open source software is the best because anyone can come in and patch up something because everyone can see it. So it, it, it speaks to the whole nature of hierarchies which 
human society, especially you know the last five hundred some years of Western hegemony, is, is simply incompatible with this new world we've opened up of informatics and the modern age. The, the two are kind of in severe conflict, and only one is going to make it. Basically, the hierarchy is, is inevitably going to crash. Um, at least it, it's going it's going to have to radically reform. The, the CIA, the NSA, the spooks, the, the people at the top of the pyramid, they, they, they cannot keep up this game because it's only been three years in Snowden leaks and then and then there's another big dump. And and all the work since then, you know, is basically is, is for nothing. Um because they have these things only work if they're done in secret and others don't know about it. Um but if if people know about it 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 loses its its reason for being, you know. Um, it, it, here's a, here's a hardcore example of, of what this stuff is for. I mean, uh, the WikiLeaks gave a teaser about a month ago when it announced that the all French candidates in the French elections in 2012 were being spied on by the CIA. That that's actually included in 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 this latest data dump. Um, the background on that. Um, there's. There's there's nothing that they, there's nothing that they can't do basically, um we've we've only covered one aspect of, you know actual things they develop themselves and then send out there like Stuxnet and malware and Trojans and so on, that's only that's only half of, of what's being told here. The other half is that, uh, they they dis they discover and deliberately keep awareness of information to themselves. They discover all the vulnerabilities in all systems, whether it's your Android phone or iOS or other other platforms, they, they're in the business of collecting all the flaws and backdoors and anything that can, they can possibly use and hoarding them for themselves in order to exploit them. Um, what this means is that you can never have a perfect system that can keep them out, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. The way people should be responding to this is that, uh, I mean, you'd think, the people who are aware of this, you'd think that the response should be that, for example, on the TVs, nobody should have a smart TV anymore. Or if your smart TV's got a camera or whatever, or a, a pickup, you should figure out uh, how to disable it, basically, or to cover it up so that at the least they can't turn on your TV. I mean, even though it's probably very unlikely that someone would say, I would want to watch, uh, watch you watching your TV. Um why would you take that risk? And okay, it's a bit of a pain and you don't really like the idea of that capability being there or that someone could spy on you basically. But, well, tough, that's the world you live in so you should take some action on it. And I mean, even beyond the, the same thing with your cell phone, you know, uh, people shouldn't have these smartphones or they, you know, should go, go retro like Nokia released one of their like 20-year-old phone recently, you know, the basic uh, Stone Age phone, uh, cell phone. Um, Go and get one of those instead, you know? Who needs it? Well, of course, people just say, oh, I need my phone for this, for the internet, for that. No, you don't really. There's a way to figure it out that you don't need that. Your phone is just for being called and, you know, for, for very specific uh, reasons and otherwise use a landline when you're at home, you know? Um, I think that's for most people. Uh, so people should, you know, take action based on on this information, just on the off chance. Why would you even want to leave that open? And like I said, yeah, it's a pain, but, you know, do it because... This, it seems to be real that these people have this 
total information awareness kind of mania. And they they want to be able to spy on anyone's phone of their choice at any given time. They they won't for the vast majority of people, but if they did, they could. And it's your responsibility if you have any kind of integrity or sense of kind of self-respect even. You'll say, well, no, I'm, I don't want them to be able to do that, so I'm not going to allow that to happen, you know. And I'm going to take whatever measure necessary to stop that from happening. Uh, but even beyond that, I mean, uh, in terms of cell phones, those are, there's a... A new story recently about uh, some uh, department of the Californian, uh, uh, I don't know, health board or something like that has put out a statement warning people to keep their phones at a distance uh, and use them as little as possible, like use uh, earbud earphones um, rather than holding it to your head because it's uh, cell phone usage, too much cell phone usage or just cell phone usage uh, has been linked to... Uh, uh, increased risk of brain cancer and other other illnesses. Now, this is this is you know this news about cell phones damaging your health has been uh, around for quite a while, but it's going it's become more mainstream over the past few few years, where mainstream reports and actual real scientific uh, studies have been done. Or maybe it's taken that long for people, some people, to actually get brain cancer or them to make this link. But whatever the case, uh, it's now being officially stated or agreed that cell phones um, are bad juju from a health perspective. And of course, with this WikiLeaks information now, it's uh, they're bad news uh, from a privacy perspective as well. So it seems that, well, you know, sure, cell phones are very useful and all that kind of stuff. And in an ideal world, <clears throat> you know, they wouldn't uh, harm your health and nobody would be spying on you. But we don't, we don't live in an ideal world. So they're bad for your health and they can be used to spy on you. So take the appropriate action. I don't have it glued to your ear, you know, for five hours a day and uh, use it as little as possible. And when it's when you're not using it, uh, have it somewhere where it can't spy on anything. That's what you have to do. You know, anybody, that, that should be the response. But, of course, I have no, no faith or no expectation that a large number of people in the U.S., for example, or anywhere in the world would actually take those, take those measures because, because stuff... Because whatever, because they, well, they're not interested. <clears throat> Most people aren't, and this is you know goes back to what was said earlier. You know, it was suggested uh, the lamb was citing Webster Tarpley saying, "Oh, you know, maybe it's intended to remind people the Big Brother's watching, you know, and to therefore create an, a chilling effect." <laughs> but the thing is. Most of the masses aren't watching, or if they hear about this, they just consume it passively, like with everything else. Um, it it really only it only interests them insofar as they're useful. Them being connected on this information superhighway is useful in order for Big Brother to get to someone of interest, mm -hmm. whether that be Erdogan today, potential French candidates tomorrow, um, Putin's affiliates the next day, and so on. Um, everyone is basically everyone is. This is part metaphor and part already reality, augmented reality. Everyone is basically a bot to these people. And they're useful only insofar as they can get to something they want. A person of interest, a company of interest. Much of this, of course, is, I'd say about 80% of this is really about um, industrial and, and um, business espionage. Anything that can get Boeing an advantage over Airbus. 
or Samsung over some Russian equivalent or Chinese equivalent. It, it, it's, it's pretty mundane and it's pretty much just business with a little bit of a dirty edge. That's, that's what most of this is really about. And uh, privacy, these people, these people never, never cared about privacy. I mean, FBI Comey, Director Comey said this week, you know, there is no absolute privacy in America. And he's right. There isn't anywhere. And the walls have ears. They always have. They can get into your phone. If you're using encryption of any kind, thinking that, you know, you're out of the loop now, forget about it. <laughs> they just they can get around it because the very products that are put out on the market are the result of work by these same people that work for these companies, for these contractors. They all essentially won interlinked network. And, uh, and we are, unless we're people of interest, we're just collateral. You know, people never took that seriously about cell phones, <clears throat> about the dangers of cell phones. Uh, or the idea that, that came along with it, or the idea that sharing your, all of your information or being online all the time would allow you to be spied on by someone if they chose to do it. No one ever took that seriously. I mean, people, and I know, I'm pretty sure, and probably everybody listening knows that, um, knows the people that you, knows that the people that you know, around you, friends, family, whatever, co-workers, do not take it seriously. The vast majority of people you know have a fully Wi-Fi'd up house and home and probably at work as well. But at home, when they go home, their house is just bathed in Wi-Fi and they have their smart devices or their smartphones on all the time. And a lot of people actually sleep with them on uh, so they can, you know, get updates from whatever. They can basically access information their preferred useless information, basically, at any point, at any time. When they're sitting in their house, sitting at the kitchen table, reading a book, you want to just look around, there's your iPhone or your or your smartphone, and it's, uh, it's, it's continually, perpetually connected to the Internet. Now, nobody, take, nobody ever took it seriously that that was a problem, that it could be hacked, that it's basically an open gateway, not only, not only kind of digitally, but even kind of... Uh, uh, energetically, if you want to say it, or something like that. It's an open gateway. You've basically opened your house to an information field that is controlled, that is a, a manufactured information field that is controlled by uh, big corporations and government government parties and stuff, and you're hooked into it, and you're, open, you're leaving open access to your house, to the privacy of your own home, willfully, to these people, effectively, if they chose to, to be interested in, in, in getting access. Uh, no one ever thought about it in that way, or took that idea seriously uh, I'm pr- pretty, like I say I'm pretty sure everybody uh, listening knows that most people don't take that seriously haven't done and no one ever took it seriously that cell phones were bad do you remember back in the, uh, what, like 2000 2001 when I first had a, a cell phone um, and even then I think it was to do with my uh, association with the same people I associate with now uh, or, or just being a bit of a kind of conspiracy theorist or whatever even back then at the very, you know, towards the beginning, or not long after the beginning of, of popular use or mass use of cell phones, the idea was out there that uh, these were bad for you. That's uh, 15 years ago, or more than 15 years ago. And back then, I knew, I, I did not want to hold the, the phone to my head for very long, and I looked at other people back then holding the phone to their head, or who worked with the phone basically glued to their head all the time. I was thinking, that's bad news, you know. Um, but it's And so the point of this is basically for me to say, I told you so, or rather, 
or not just I told you so, but Jesus Christ, what's wrong with people, you know? It wasn't that outlandish a theory, you know, but apparently it was presented that way. It was, you know, blown off as uh, a silly, stupid conspiracy theory. Mm. But now, uh, not only in the medical side of things with cell phones, but with the stuff from WikiLeaks that everybody now has to take seriously, now they're all going, oh my God, you mean the conspiracy theory is true that this, the CIA can actually access my smartphone and my smart kettle and my smart toilet and my smart, smart kitty litter and my smart uh, glasses and my smart uh, headphones and my smart ashtray? They can actually, they know what cigarettes I'm smoking, you know. What does a smart kitty litter do? I don't know. Tell me it hasn't been invented yet. It, it just uses, a, it's kind of like, it uses its high frequency uh, kind of uh, Wi-Fi uh, microwaves to burn Give Kitty a burn, shock. Burn the poo out of the kitty litter so you don't have to pick it up. No. Um, all, all of this is, is passive surveillance. Then there's the other stuff. I mean, they can get into closed networks. It's not you, – you could have a network offline, say, in the German military, some some division in Germany, thinking it's secure and it's, it's, it can at least do something for once without pr- uh, prying eyes of Uncle Sam. Not so. I mean, they can get into anything. Um, pretty much everything. It's all yeah, open. I think because they they built the, they built the stuff that it, Microsoft is their baby. The internet's their baby. The computers you use everything. It, it, the reason why the US is number one in all this stuff is because it it suits them. Because they're basically saying, "Here's a product, you pay for it," but they know that they're getting more than just selling you the product. They're basically getting a control of your mind. Mm-hmm. Which is what they want, first and foremost. It's a battle for minds. There was a point that Harrison made a little earlier about this whole story being a kind of limited hangout, and it's it's really true. Um, you know, as much as uh, as much as I had good intentions in putting that little piece of tape over m- my computer camera so that uh, the CIA or NSA doesn't view me as I'm sitting there at my keyboard. Uh, we know that in all probability, these guys have technology that uh, that that makes all of this sound uh, primitive. Yeah, but uh, I'm making it easy for them. You know oh I mean? no, <laughs> I'm no. going to make it easy for them. If they need to get some kind of hyper, hyper, <laughs> super duper fancy exotic technology where they have to like you know fire up a space based satellite to to direct it at my bedroom to find out if I'm you know what book I'm reading or something, then they're going to have right. to do that. They're not getting it from my damn smartphone. Sitting make, on make beside me it, in my Joe. Wi-Fi bed house. Yeah, make them work for it. Mm. Well, Ilan, you just you mentioned something about um, you know the stuff that we know about it maybe isn't even representative about their you know true c- capabilities, and uh, you know we don't actually know what's going on. Well, we've got a, a clip. Um, well, just to preface it, um, you know, in the mainstream media, it seems that the only network I've really noticed actually covering this in any kind of detail is. Fox News. And so a couple days ago, Sean Hannity had uh, William Binney and uh, Lieutenant Colonel, uh, what's, it, what's his name, Lawrence Schaefer, I think, um, on the show to talk to them about these issues. And so I'm just going to play the clip. It's, it's kind of long. It's six minutes, but there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. Um, it starts out with Binney and then gets to Schaefer. Uh, there's a little bit of a gap in there. We just took out some some, you know, irrelevant stuff, but I'll just play it because, and then we'll discuss it afterwards because there's some interesting things in there. 
Joining us now with reaction, former intelligence official of the U.S. National Security Agency, William Binney, and former senior intelligence officer, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer. Mr. Binney, let me start with you. One of the things that I, I have a headline here in front of me, WikiLeaks, CIA uses stolen malware to attribute cyber attacks to nations like Russia. And what they're really implying here is that they would deliberately mimic the hacking protocols of Russia to obfuscate their own works. Do you believe that's true? Uh, yeah, sure. I think that that's true as well as uh, I think that a lot of this software that they've gotten to do the penetrations came from NSA, uh, GCHQ and the other five eyes plus other cooperating countries. And of course, they gained additional information once they penetrated into people like is, the Russians and the Ukrainians. Is it legal and, for them to do that at the CIA? Uh, actually, it's not their charter, but uh, they certainly uh, they certainly are doing it and have been doing it for many decades. It's nothing new for them. I mean, they have been uh, using uh, sig signals intelligence for quite some time. In other words, and we do know what happened in the case of General Flynn. That was a felony, a violation of the Espionage Act, uh, <clears throat> even though he did have, in his case, a, a security clearance. Maybe they could have listened, but it was certainly illegal to release that. These people, our intelligence agencies, have huge uh, technology and huge power. So that power must be used ethically and focused on the adversary only. What you've seen here, as you pointed out, Sean, it was used against one of our own. Lieutenant General Mike Flynn is a friend of mine. So I, I, I first, on a personal level, I think it's horrendous. Uh, on a it's illegal. Uh, legal level, it's it's it needs to be prosecuted. Yeah. So I think we have to understand it's good that we understand these things. It's good we have people who understand the tools. But how you use those tools ethically, legally and morally is hugely important. Colonel, if the CIA, in fact, WikiLeaks now, they have a track record. They've not been wrong in all the years of existence. Right. They've not been proven wrong one time. And I'm looking at these documents. I guess the most frightening thing, if you're in the government is they let release less than one percent of the information they say they have right. and they're talking about more powerful surveillance techniques than even the nsa without checks and balances Correct. the the fact that they build a cyber attack arsenal that a hundred billion dollars came from the obama years and that it implies that every single electronic device they are capable of hacking and spying through and even turning TVs into listening devices. Do you believe that? Do you think the CIA has that capability? And if they do, if there's no check and balance, doesn't that mean we're all potentially subject to living in a police state where the government at will can spy on whoever they want, bribe, blackmail, do whatever they want with that? That's scary. That is a danger of having this. And unfortunately, Sean, this is one of those few times I cannot comment on what you're asking. I, 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 you know, I used to do this for a living. I will say this. I think some of those things are even more powerful than, than you know, than you listed. And that's why ethically, legally, and as William said, you have to be very specific about how you use Title 18 as law enforcement, Title 10 as military, EO 12333, Title 50 as intelligence, which has U.S. person restrictions. President Obama, I have a feeling, didn't care. He just told people to go out and do things. And this is where more you have to have someone who is at the top willing to do the hard things of saying it is my job to restrict people from using well, those things. We, we don't have constitutional we don't protections. Have precisely. And this is where we were going. And let me say this, and I don't know if Bill will agree with me or not. ATP 2829, the so-called Russian tool that we used to hack the DNC, 
Sean, we did it. Not me, but our, our guys, former members of NSA, retired intelligence officers, use these tools to break in there and get the information and, out. And, That's and what the Democrats don't want to talk about because it doesn't fit. You the know that for a fact. You know, the Democrats did it or the, that former operatives did it using the malware techniques that they put the Russians fingerprints on Sean, it and the make it appear like the yes. Russians. In other words, you're telling me this whole Russian story that the media has been running with for months and months and months that it was our people that did it and they mm -hmm. just put the fingerprints of the Russians on it. That's right. I don't have proof of it. But I'm telling you, this is what I've heard. And what I'm trying to tell you is that if you go back and actually talk to people inside, the, the evidence is not that the Russians did it. The evidence is a Russian tool was used. What I'm saying is concerned Americans who are fed up with the Clintons doing things, I think were the ones who actually got in there and broke the information out and gave it to WikiLeaks. I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I've mentioned this to other reporters, by the way. They don't seem to be interested in going and checking this out because it doesn't shock to John narrative. Solomon and Sarah Carter. They want to hear this. Well, uh, this last this, question, this, this Mr. Binney. Yes. You had told me that you say that every phone call, every text, every um, email of every American is gathered into metadata right now by our government. Every single call, text, email. Is that true? You know that? Well, it's not just the metadata. It's the content also. Yeah. And, and, and our it, government and is storing every conversation. And that's why I, 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 that's why I wrote that up in a sworn affidavit in support of Jewel versus NSA challenging the constitutionality of NSA and you say collecting all Executive Order 12333 allows that. Yeah. Section 23C. And that is the same one that Obama altered so 16 other agencies could now share in that information right. of, yep. of, of signals. Wow. If I could point out a greater danger here, Sean, uh, the point is they know about all these weaknesses in firewalls, operating systems, uh, switches, servers, and so on, and how to break into them, and they aren't fixing them. So that means that everybody in the, in the world, including all of us here in the U.S., are still sitting there all vulnerable to attacks. Right. And, they are, and, so and they're doing so, it as, as you're saying, they're doing it as a matter of course. And that's why you yes, left after 32 exactly. years at the NSA. And, and the point is that they come back to us after an attack and say, well, we have to we need more money for cybersecurity when, in fact, they don't fix the problems they already know. Right. And I so they're not giving us cybersecurity. You know? so, right. This is worse than any spy novel I could think of. Thank you all for they're being swindling with us. us. Thank yeah. you, Sean. All right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. There you go. They're swindling us. Well, exactly. It's what the height of it. Yeah, just one comment about Sean Hannity, who uh, I detest. Um, you know, it, he's a hero. One angle, yeah, he's an American, he's an American hero. American. I mean, the, one of the main uh, uh, reasons he's even covering the story is because he's so politically identified with Trump. Uh, mm -hmm. The guy is not really a truth teller. He has, for no. many years, been uh, part oh, of the establishment. Um, I mean, I, there was a uh, a video on YouTube I watched a while back where he was interviewing uh, a professor who was going to teach a class about 9-11. And uh, he totally attempted to crucify him and and uh, and just decredit him. Um, so, uh, it, you know, it, it's interesting to see Hannity get on there and actually dispel one of the biggest pieces of propaganda uh, i.e. Russian hacking mm -hmm. um, through this story now. That's it, a little satisfying, but don't go, don't go uh, tuning into Hannity from now on just because well, he, he as long as this Trump, interview. As long as Trump's around, why not, you know, because actually the, <laughs> his fickleness a lot, uh, means that he's actually forced or he finds himself in a position now where he's, he has to tell uh, the truth about um, to defend Trump, you know, 
uh, he has to tell the truth about what's been going on. Of course, there's no reason to believe that uh, that Trump is going to do anything to change any of this, uh, and you know maybe basically turning a blind eye to it. So he, there's no reason to support Trump, but certainly you can listen to things like Fox News now, which is amazing because for probably for the past um, yeah probably the past uh, 15 years or so, um, <laughs> Fox News has been a fount of uh, establishment BS. Uh, you know, an American imperialist kind of propaganda uh, for that long, as you were just describing, Alan. So um, it's amazing that we're, we'd actually be endorsing Fox News now as, as a source of true news, but it actually is. <laughs> the the final comment that it was a swindle, um, Binny pretty much just described why it is. And just to repeat, um, if you, if you think of this U.S. intel slash corporate uh, complex, play on the military-industrial complex, um, as a complex, well, it's in a business interest to sell fault, deliberately fault products they know to be flawed and faulty so that there's then a follow-up business interest, mm. which is, oh, you've got a cybersecurity issue. We can help you with that. Mm -hmm. It's a classic mafia racket. It's protection racket. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to need help. Well, well, I'm I'm cool here. I don't see any threat coming from around. Oh, you don't see any threat? We can. Well, make I'll one. show you a threat. We can make one for you. And then you have threats coming at them in all directions. Mm -hmm. Oh, where did they come from? Well, it came from them. Yeah. And now we can patch them for you. The sales pitch is, uh, you know, is your computer uh, vulnerable? No, no, it seems to be okay. No bugs. No, no, nothing going on. No, uh, no malware or anything. Well, okay, for ninety nine ninety nine, we can send you the malware first and then the fix afterwards to patch it up, you know. Uh, yeah, so it's basically a, it's a good uh, money-making scheme. That's pretty much how they, how they do stuff. But, um, yeah, weird. All the thing's weird the way all this stuff is coming out, you know. And we, as I kind of thought, I kind of thought, I had a, like years ago I had an, 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 uh, an intuition, let's say it, or just a thought, really, that uh, all of the stuff that we were talking about back then and all kind of alternative media was talking about, you know, conspiracy theorists and stuff, talking about, I had an idea that eventually it would all come out because it seemed so transparent to us at the time that was actually what was going on. And the vast majority of people were being uh, bamboozled by the media who were dismissing all conspiracy theories. And I had the idea that, yeah, well, eventually this is, it will come out as being real. Uh, but I also had the idea that it would be a real kind of a perfect victory, if you know what I mean. Uh, we would we would not feel uh, very happy about the fact that it was coming out. We would just be like, yeah, whatever. There wouldn't be too many told you so or you know jumping up and down, you know, uh, pointing no. the finger because because in the in in the moment where that stuff comes out, it's going to be quite depressing. Obviously, that and, and also probably the fact that most people won't actually react very much to it at all. They just go. Uh, okay, so it, it was okay. It's exactly the same with the exposure of nine eleven. Now everyone wants nine eleven to be exposed in the sense that look, here's evidence that they actually did it. Go ahead, that's, and do that's, it. that's not actually how it came out. It came out by just simply the reflection of the Russians doing something in a different way in Syria, exposing the fact it couldn't help but expose the fact that the U.S. government is behind ISIS, Al Qaeda, and mm -hmm. all the rest of them supporting them. And voila, that's basically the exposure. exposure the, reason why, the reason why it is in no way satisfying 
is because what it has taken for it to be exposed is this vast, vast swathes of destruction of several countries, mm. many countries in fact, but some really bad, Libya, Syria, Iraq, just, mm. just wasted. Yeah. And it, it, it's created so many dangers. It's, they've had to create the, this, this monster, this horrible problem, this, this cancers all over the earth in order for it to be exposed, you know? Mm. And the same thing is happening at the cyber level. Oh, okay, it's all exposed now. But now there's actual danger from people, from scammers, for example, mm. spammers, of course. Um, and anyone who would use these weapons um, on their own initiative. Mm -hmm. be, I mean, there's a shortage of jobs out there. What do you think people who, want, who have the know-how and who want the money are going to do? Well, they're going to blackmail people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, keep a lid they, on. They can aim high if they're if they're smart. They can aim high and they can blackmail other leaders, or they can stay you know fairly in the shadows. They can blackmail CEOs of relatively small and medium companies, or they can blackmail everyday people. Mm -hmm. They've created this dangerous environment. This is why I described it as a Mad Max cyber realm. They've had to create this horrible reality in order for it all to be seen for what it is. You know, it's it's, it's a real shame that it's taken the destruction of everything for, mm. and that's why there's no satisfaction in going, ah, told you so, because, well, because everything's it, ruined. Well, because, well, it's, yeah, it's ruined, but it's, it's when it comes out. If you, if you make corruption, if you make a lifestyle out of corruption, but you do a good job of covering it up and you've got the media to cover up the fact that you're extremely corrupt and you say the opposite of what you do, you, you present a, a face of, of, uh, uh, forthrightness and, you know, integrity and stuff and freedom and democracy but actually you're extremely corrupt and, and uh, behind it that's your re real motivation that you're doing the opposite of what you claim to be doing uh, eventually if you do that long enough and that becomes the only thing you do that's how you operate you're, you're fully corrupt eventually if someone comes along and starts has the has the power or the, the influence to actually say listen you're actually corrupt and here's all of the evidence and there can't be a lack of evidence because that's what you've been doing for years and years and years um when eventually when someone when someone exposes you and uses that that uh, mounting pile of evidence that is your 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 actual existence to point out that that's what you are you're not the the wonderful things you claim claim to be um mm -hmm. you are going to say you're going to go well yeah whatever uh you're not going to change like i mean the idea that suddenly if the american government gets exposed as Supporting Al Qaeda, giving weapons and money to Al Qaeda, it's going to go. Oh, damn it! You find me out. Oh, suddenly it's kind of gone mainstream. Well, we better stop that now. Uh, no, we're just going to we're just going to pretend that we don't. Continue to pretend that we don't, uh, while everybody thinks we do, and we don't really care because we know if, we know people have no way to stop us doing what we're we're doing. So it's simply the fact that the curtain has been pulled back. And the reality of the situation is being, you know, it's being pulled back, let's say, bit by bit, and the reality is being exposed, and people are just going, oh, well, that's really bad, isn't it? Yeah, supporting uh, Al-Qaeda and stuff, and ISIS. I mean, that's a question, you know. If it's, it's given, given that it's a, an established fact that the, the CIA and the U.S. government supports, has been supporting for several, I mean, at least in, for the last few years, has been actively supporting, funding, training, arming Al-Qaeda. Why would anybody think that they were not doing that 15 or 16 years ago, or before that, 20 years ago, when Al-Qaeda first came on the scene? 
Do you think it's just an idea that 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 that's, that came to them recently? Let's support Islamic terrorism, quote unquote. You know, crazy jihadi mercenaries. Let's support them as a proxy army. It just occurred to them now to do it. Uh, not twenty years ago when they first appeared on the scene, kind of out of nowhere. Where did they get their funding from? If the U.S. government has been funding Al Qaeda for the past three or four years, where did they get their money from twenty years ago to 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 come on the scene and start launching attacks? Similar kind of attacks that they're using. American money, taxpayer money, to, to carry out today in Syria and Libya and different places. Where did they get it 20 years but ago? Joe, Is it possible they got Joe, it think, from the same source? I think, you're, I think also there's the, uh, there's the fact that you are two or three or four steps removed from the average person who, who might hear about these things but doesn't, doesn't take it in or realize the implications of it uh, to the extent that, that you might or that you well, do. Just, just 9-11. Uh, the implications it, are 9-11. Well, but like, you know... No, is that, too, is that too much of a stretch? Of, well, not, not for you. and not No, not no, for but for us. the average person. Certainly. The average person who lived through 9-11 knows that Al-Qaeda did 9-11. Here's today that for the past mm-hmm. few years the US government is supporting Al-Qaeda. Is it too much of a stretch for them to make the connection that the US government is funding the same group of terrorists that attacked us in 9-11? Well, is that too I think much? more recently, as in the case of uh, supporting al-Qaeda in, in Syria, uh, I don't know that that particular um, bit of knowledge is really well known, especially in the U.S. I feel like it's, it's been, I mean, it's certainly been stated. Uh, we, we've read about it, bits of it here and there, um, but I don't think it's really public knowledge here in the U.S. I, I disagree. Uh, I, that, I disagree, Alain. It, it, now, it, it came to Americans in, in a particular form, but mm-hmm. still, it's pretty much hitting the spot. It, it came to them in the form of Hillary Clinton and Huma Abedin are behind all these jihadis, and it's the Democrats and the Obama's Muslim Brotherhood. It came to them in, in that sort of wonky form, but it's substantially hitting mm-hmm. on the truth. I, I think I a think lot of Trump supporters the, certainly got they get that the, yeah, They get the gist of Have it. that knowledge. I, um, so I would disagree with on that. Yeah, and, but again, the point is, I'm not saying, I mean, it's a kind of rhetorical question, obviously, um, but, and it ties into what we said before, that with, with the NSA spying, the CIA spying on everyone and stuff, when people get that kind of information that is uh, an exposure of the big lie, they don't do anything. <laughs> There's nothing they can do. They don't have a voice. The media is no voice for these people, so what they think is kind of irrelevant, at least uh, for for in, in terms of the public discourse or the public narrative, because they don't get uh, any representation by the media. They're told what what they think or what the media thinks, and that's why so many people turn off the media because these things become exposed and people realize just how corrupt the system is. And then they read the newspaper and they don't see anything really reflecting what they understand, what they've they've come to understand as as being the level of corruption of the system. The media doesn't represent that, so they just go. Mm. What am I going to do? I'll get, I'll get a soapbox and go down to the local corner and start shouting about it there, but that's not going to help. I don't have any time to do that anyway. Um, and that's where the whole fake news business comes up, you know, where so, people, so many people have, have, have gravitated to or taken on this idea of, of, of fake news um, because it, it resonates with them because of these exposures, because they see that everything that they were told for so long uh, about uh, the USA, for example, or the Western world... Has, has increasingly been exposed as a lie 
and it was a lie propagated repeatedly and against all reason and against all evidence by the mainstream media for so long. And that betrayal is very, very large. Um, but again, people have no uh, no outlet for that. They, they cannot do anything about it. Now, it may have some kind of non-linear kind of effect down the line or something where uh, mm-hmm. something may happen, but it, you know, it won't be it probably won't be direct, but that kind of leads me into the... the I wanted to say something about the fake news business because I was just thinking about fake news. It's become this meme, you know, and everybody's using it, and fake, fake news, fake news this, fake news that, and I wanted to uh, just kind of get a straight in my mind where this came from, and it seems to me that... Um, I mean, probably people know this already, but it tracks back to just to last year, to the elections, right? Uh, presidential elections in the U.S. and the main claims uh, that surrounded that, that give rise to this meme, meme of fake news were, were the claims that Russian trolls were pr- promoting, uh, and Russian media outlets like RT and Sputnik and stuff were promoting fake stories about Clinton's health to hurt her, hurt her campaign because supposedly Russia, the Putin, Russian government, uh, supported Trump. And also to denigrate critics of Russian activities in Syria. Uh, to you know, so it was mainly fake news. Generally, comes the, the meme fake news is intricately tied with with Russia and what Russia has been doing, or they claim Russia was doing in terms of the U.S. election by spreading fake news about Hillary's health, in particular Hillary Clinton's health, and about fake news supposedly about what Russia was doing in Syria. Um. Of course, uh, the U.S. government and the media spun that into then into this me this other kind of meme of or, or idea that Russian Russia was uh, hacking or hacked our democracy effectively by subverting the, the American democratic process. It was all you know made up out of whole cloth, really. Um, but the problem is that there is no nothing fake about those stories. Hillary Clinton clearly was, and everybody could see it, Hillary Clinton clearly was very ill. She looked it, she was falling down, she was collapsing, she had a serious problem, and it wasn't just pneumonia. Um, there's something going on there, seriously. But they said that was fake news. Um, and also in Syria, uh, the fake news was basically coming from the US. Uh, it was not from Russian uh, state media or anything uh, like that, or, or Russian trolls. It was simply... Uh, Russia, what Russia was doing in Syria was largely what Russia, Russia claimed or what Russia media outlets claimed they were doing in Syria uh, was what they were doing. And all of the fake news came from, from America largely, that they, you know, bombing hospitals and killing people and blah, 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 blah. Um, but it seems to me that uh, it's possible this, so this fake news meme that was created, sure it was created as a response, um, but it was it was a response to what has been talked about over the past few years, particularly since uh, the coup in Ukraine, the US-sponsored coup in Ukraine in 2014, uh, it had been talked about and discussed and debated uh, by different, um, you know, by uh, by different groups or p- politicians or, you know, uh, committees put together uh, in the US Senate and, and Congress about how to combat Russian what they call Russian propaganda, what they were talking about was Russia, mainly RT and Sputnik, um, and the fact that they were having some, they were becoming very popular, getting a lot of attention, and a lot of people were reading what they read, and it was a, a counter-narrative to, to the US, US's narrative. And they 
they talked about this and why don't we have something like this? We don't have an equivalent in the Russian language or whatever. But of course, the Western media is massively dominant and has been for so long and spread, you know, Radio Free America and Radio Free Europe and, and, and I mean, they've, they've dominated the airwaves around the world for so long. So the fact that Russia, RT and Sputnik came along was, was just a slight rebalancing, but they couldn't, they couldn't handle that at all. So they said, well, how do we stop this happening? You know, we got it. This is wrong because simply someone was saying the opposite or someone was disagreeing with them and exposing the fallacies in, in the, in the Western narrative. Um, so it was a response to that, but it seems that this fake news thing is very uh, kind of useful um, in the sense that it, it has, it's, I think it's having a negative effect on alternative media as well with, by spreading the idea that you know, f- there's fake news everywhere and particularly directing that label, that, that kind of slanderous term effectively at real honest news, like news that is much more c- close to the truth um, than anything from the Western media. It's an attempt to to muddy the waters effectively, to um, you know, to distort the signal and create the impression that all news might be fake. So people just kind of throw their hands up and say, "Well, you can't believe anything these days," you know. So that in in response to um, uh, effectively them losing the Western media, Western propaganda, Western governments losing the the monopoly they had on the official story, which was mostly false and not being able to do anything about uh, the fact that there was competing uh, or an alternative uh, stories coming out that told the truth about what was going on, they simply said, let's just wreck it all. Let's just spread the idea that everything can be fake news. And it's okay for CNN to be called fake news, but everything's fake now. So, I mean, imagine the average person searching for information, and they think, well, I don't know anymore what's true and what's not. And that's far better. That's, that's the best they could do. The Western propaganda machines, that's the best they could do in, the, in this situation where RT and even the Chinese National News and other news websites were, were combating the lies coming out of the West. The best response that the West had to that was to say, let's create the impression that you can't know what's true at all. At least then we don't lose anything effectively, you know, or it kind of levels the playing field again. Or, or pushes it back, pushes the 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 uh, the advantage back in our direction, effectively, um, because they were they've been under serious uh, attack and serious strain over the past few years in terms of what the the monopoly that they had on what was the truth. I mean, you look back to nine, after nine eleven and the Iraq War and stuff, and the stuff they got away with in terms of blatantly lying to people and getting people to suck it up. I mean, it, obviously it was. You know, it was the world was crying out for someone to come along in the English language and do something about this horrible, decrepit state of so-called news or information or accurate information that was coming out of Western media. Um, and they don't like it, obviously. It's, it's horrible that someone would challenge your narrative and say that's a load of nonsense and provide proof and evidence to back it up and undercut your entire position. So it's kind of in keeping with the Western the collapse of the Western, entire Western system, that when they're challenged, when their lies and nonsense and, and propaganda and corruption is exposed, the response is, well, let's wreck it all. Let's wreck everything. Let's, let's distort, the entire, distort the entire information uh, sphere uh, so that at the very least no one will be able to believe anything. And the advantage there is at least they won't believe the truth. 
that is now coming out from other sources. Yeah, and we'll all happily dance into the post-truth age. I know. I mean, fake news. People talk about fake news now as though, as though you know, it, it just suddenly happened that, that that the Western media had a monopoly on the truth for so long, and suddenly it's all being ruined by these horrible other news websites that are telling, spreading fake news, and they and they start calling it fake news. Jesus Christ! Does nobody remember the Iraq War? Saddam's weapons of mass destruction, forty-five minute missile. In forty-five minutes, he can blow up the entire world and stuff. And the media put that out there, and it was the most they were the most egregious examples of fake bullshit news, and they were provably so. And these are the same people now who are coming up with oh, fake news, Russia's fake news. You, CNN, calling anybody fake news? You bunch of freaking hypocrites. Anyway, yeah, whatever. <laughs> well, I want to move on yeah, to, to what's going on in Turkey, but just before we do that, I want to play one more clip. Um kind of just tangentially related to the WikiLeaks thing. It gets brought up, but this is Dennis Kucinich again on Fox News. Um, just as a reminder, uh, Kucinich, he went, he's the guy that um, went with Tulsi Gabbard to Syria a couple months ago and, uh, you know, somewhat secretly met with President Assad there. And so he's been in the news several times um, since then including, I believe it was a few weeks ago, he was on, um, I can't remember what the topic was, but it, it was about the leaks. Yeah, the the whole, you know, um, um, kind of deep state plot against Donald Trump. And he came out basically saying, you know, this is more important than, um, than you know, your political affiliation. Um, the fact that this is happening is really concerning and we should all, you know, be opening our eyes and doing something about it. But um, anyways, he was on um, Fox News just a couple of days ago talking about the um, the subject of these leaks that are coming out of the government and um, just what's going on. So I'm just going to play this one. President Trump's defense over wiretapping claims. But former presidential candidate and Congressman Dennis Kucinich says it happened to him. In a foxnews.com op-ed, he writes, I can vouch for the fact that extracurricular surveillance does occur, regardless of whether it is officially approved. I was wiretapped in 2011 after taking a phone call in my congressional office from a foreign leader. Joining us now is Fox News contributor Dennis Kucinich. Congressman, thanks for joining us this morning. For those that haven't read your opinion piece briefly, what did happen to you in 2011? Uh, I was on a phone call with a foreign leader uh, from Libya. Uh, the general counsel of the House had a, basically approved the call, said you can talk to them, that's your right as a congressman. And I found out two years after I left office, that call was in fact uh, tapped, that it was intercepted, that some intel agency had, for whatever reason, uh, had the whole call. And the Washington Times played it back for me at a restaurant that I met them at in D.C. Wow, and they wrote a story about it. This is remarkable, Congressman, that members of Congress are being surveilled by the intelligence community. Who gives the authorization for that? If it doesn't come from the president, does it come from a court? I know you put in Freedom of Information Act requests and you've been still waiting on this for five years. Yeah, I, some of the some of the intel agencies have not responded to requests that I made uh, before I left Congress. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is that if a member of Congress can have a phone call intercepted, there's no one safe, that it is plausible that a presidential candidate uh, could have had his phone, in effect, tapped uh, by an intel agency. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the larger question is, 
Uh, what about the rights of Americans, the privacy? You know, we're, we have five different constitutional amendments that are supposed to protect our right to privacy. And now we learn from WikiLeaks that, you know, things like uh, an, an iPhone can be sure. used to uh, get somebody's conversations, uh, they can use televisions. What's going on? The government's out of control on this uh, surveillance stuff. Congressman, so presumably what happened was they felt like they were surveilling this Libyan leader. He's on the phone with you. They record the conversation. By law, they're supposed to ignore what you're saying and maybe focus on what they're surveilling with him. But you're saying this was kept and, and later could have been used. So presumably, plausibly, what Trump Tower could have been, they're surveilling foreign leaders that may be talking to someone at Trump Tower. They're capturing it. But now they're releasing the transcript uh, or, or portions of it to the media. So there's multiple ways in which this is certainly or could be a situation where people around or in Trump Tower were wiretapped. Well, if you look at the uh, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, uh, they're, they're not supposed to be going after U.S. citizens. They certainly don't have the right to go after members of Congress because of separation of powers. And so what's happening, there's a misuse of intelligence. And then when it turns up in the media, yeah. are you kidding me? That's a crime. I mean, it's, it, it is a violation of every rule and law that's out there with respect to the handling of intelligence. This leaking is destructive to our government, and it's also undermining the privacy rights. And the American people have a right to be really upset about the way this whole thing has been handled. Well, what about, I mean, we only have 30 seconds left, but the idea that President Obama had ordered this, that, I mean, had happened to you in 2011, therefore it would have been the same thing, that President Obama would have ordered you being surveilled. Do you buy that argument? I don't know that President Obama could have been personally involved. You know, there's so many people in the government now who have the ability under the uh, Patriot Act to be able to grab uh, information that they should not sure. be entitled to. So I, I can't say that the President Obama did it. But, you know, someone did. Yeah. And it, and they used the power of the United States and abused the power yeah. of the United States. Yeah. And that's got to stop. Well, Congressman Dennis Kucinich, thank you for sharing your story and for speaking out on this. Appreciate it. Thank Thanks, you, Congressman. Notice that he said the Patriot Act. There's so many people that have the power under the Patriot Act. When was the Patriot Act? Let me think. Hmm. 2003? Or was it two? So, I mean, and then this guy turns around and says that... Uh, it was written. Most, the bulk of the draft was written pre nine eleven. Right. So it's been literally like, well, it's been almost 20 years since it was passed and repassed. Patriot Act 2, Patriot Act 7, you know. This time it's personal, that kind of thing. Uh... And then this other, this guy, this reporter guy says, well, that's remarkable that you, and Dennis Kucinich is also saying, well, you know, big revelation. I was, I was talking to a Libyan leader and my phone call was tapped. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's remarkable. It's like, what is wrong with these people? I mean, this well, goes back to what I'm saying before, which is like, we've been talking about this stuff for ages. And it's, why have we been talking about it so much? Because it's patently obvious that that would be the case that this is what's happening how do these these people all really live in the american dream that they all really drink the kool-aid and believe that everything was just wonderful freedom and democracy and oversight and checks and balances that i mean the stuff about deep state has come out now as well that we've been talking about for decades yes. as well the deep state it's not yeah. a, it's not an official term i mean what's wrong with these people w were we saying it the wrong way it's i mean it's kind of like saying here like the the guy with the infamous sweet tooth who's applying for a job in the donut store might have an alternative agenda. Uh, you know, uh, uh, he might have other motivations for wanting that job. It's like, yeah. I think part of it is, is politicking. So Kucinich explicitly says, and he himself gets his voice worked up at the moment he says it, 
The American people have a right to be upset. He wants you to be upset. He wants you. He wants to prime you to have what should be, he believes, the normal response. The difference between him and the the guy who was the the interviewer and us is that we've accepted certain realities. Why? Because they were patently obvious. They were they were in your face realities. But there was some impediment. There was some injunction against people believing that. And it's not just necessarily about that they didn't have the time, because a lot of people are watching the news. They were, they, they would turn their, their their attention to news, big story, you know, big stories that were going on over the years, or they do it on a regular basis. A lot of people they're actually watching the news and information. So, uh, okay, they didn't have access because the media had a monopoly. That's a serious problem. But the people who did come across it, or when the media had to address the kind of stuff we talked about, like conspiracy theories and stuff, um. And people came across, a lot of people are aware of the idea of conspiracy theories, right? But of course, they were primed to think crazy conspiracy theorists. But the point is that it wasn't. The point is that it was very, very simple, normal. Uh, it was in terms of uh, human, basic human psychology, like I just said, you know, someone having, having an ulterior motive, somebody in a position of power wanting more power, someone uh, who, who has a, you know, a, a fetish for control. And having the ability, which everybody knew about, uh, like to to tap your phone call. Uh, that given those details that everybody probably was aware of, they would not draw the conclusion that, yeah, the CIA or whoever is probably listening to this conversation, if it's an important conversation. Why? Because America. That's what it comes down to. Those people who are, and there are a lot of them, I think, who are, had that information available to them and should have drawn the logical conclusion that we drew and wrote about and talked about for years, but they didn't for some particular reason, some emotional reason. Because in a lot, I'm not saying all cases, okay, there was some more extreme stuff that we kind of talked about that is also being proven to be true now, but the more normal stuff that, that just involved a basic understanding of human psychology was there was an impediment to them accepting that as a reality, not because they weren't looking at or didn't have access to the information. They did have access to the information, but they refused to believe it because of the American dream or something like that, because yeah. they wanted to believe in freedom and democracy. Mm-hmm. That's why a lot of people, you know, still, at the, well, maybe not anymore, but for a long time thought that America was going around the world spreading freedom and democracy even in the face of evidence that they were blowing the crap out of countries and killing millions of people. That's a serious problem. Yeah, you said it's an emotional, uh, it's emotional and it's, it's layers of assumptions. Um, even someone as smart and clued in as Kucinich will be, I suppose, indoctrinated uh, like anyone else with, with all these assumptions that he, he himself doesn't challenge. Hmm. Um, it's partly that, and then it's partly, I think, it's like I suggested, it's politicking on his part. He, let's say he is aware for a second. Mm-hmm. That, and he's probably took that phone call going, oh, God, I know they'll be listening to this one. I'm talking to someone in Libya in 2011, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's got to be smart enough to right. at least suspect that, have a suspicion, for God's sake. But once he gets clear evidence that it was listened to and then it was, his conversation was played back by a reporter, he can go, yes, okay, well, I've got something I have to hit them back with. You know what I mean? He's mm-hmm. politicking. He's, he, he's, he's, he's juggling as things are with as things ought to be, he believes. Mm-hmm. And that the belief of why things ought to be a different way is the American dream. It's the layers of assumptions that go right. into the privacy of, you know, 
the, the, the essentials of the American life, you know, the right to property, the right to freedom, the right to privacy and all this stuff, when objectively there is yeah. either no such thing or it's, it's really There's very, no evidence very, to believe it. Very, very little difference between anywhere else in the world. I think our, our, our problem, at least from my perspective, my frustration with the whole thing comes from the, being in a, in a position of, uh, of having looked at a certain situation and having investigated and, and, and seen how it uh, operates and, and what uh, the components of it are and how how it's governed, how it's controlled, and making an assessment of where it's likely to go and seeing it, watching it go in that direction over the years and then just saying, yeah, that's that's not going to end well, you know? It's going somewhere bad because of the nature of the system under which we live. Uh, but usually in any situation, when you, when you, when you get to that point and you, you kind of lose your identification with it, you're no longer, no longer identified with it in, in the way a lot of people are identified with uh, patriotism or a nationality or a belief system. When you don't have that anymore and you see people who are and you see that this, oh, that's all going to, that's going to go pear-shaped, that's not going to go anywhere well because of the way it, it operates. Uh, the person making that assessment, that judgment, usually just walk away. You kind of wash your hands of it, divested yourself from it, you're no longer attached to it and you would just walk away, Right? Because why would you sit and watch a train wreck, right? Uh, you walk away because you've got better things to do and you know there's no way to stop it. But the frustration comes from, from not being able to walk away or, or having nowhere to go, maybe, and, and sitting and having to continue to watch <clears throat> your kind of, uh, you know, your predictions effectively come true. Your dire predictions come true. And even comment on it and even try, continue to try to say to people, you know, that's not looking good. That's the. That's probably the wrong thing to do. You probably shouldn't do that. Hey, do you think maybe you you mightn't mightn't want to do those things? Uh, and to have to do that repeatedly is kind of a bit frustrating. Anyway, but let's move on to other frustrating things. Like um, Harrison, you were going to say something about Turkey. Well, really quick, just as a side note, while that Kucinich clip was you know on air. They showed a picture when he was talking about the Libyan, Libyan leader of Saif al-Islam, so Gaddafi's son. Mm -hmm. So the implication being that's who he was talking to. Just an interesting side note. But actually, I wanted to ask, I haven't been following the, the Turkey-Netherlands thing yet. I've just been seeing the headlines. So does anyone know uh, yeah. know the story there? Well, go on ahead. Do you want to introduce it? Um, Erdogan is pushing... I think they set a date for a referendum in Turkey in the next month. Yeah, 17th April. Next month, um, that would change Turkey's constitution and basically give him more power mm -hmm. uh, and any any pre president thereafter. They, they want to make it a more uh, executive-based yeah. parliamentary democracy a la, a la US rather than one where mm -hmm. the prime minister and the parliament have more power. So, yeah, it's a shift in emphasis in the Turkish constitution – it should be fairly cut and dried. It happens all the time in lots of countries. But no, someone has it in for Erdogan and they don't want this to succeed or they want to give him a headache in the course of trying to get it pushed. So Turkey has a lot of uh, Turkish nationals, either of second generation or dual nationality. You mean in Holland? Europe. Yeah, okay. In Europe. Uh, there's like something like a million in Germany. Germany. And there's nearly half a million in the Netherlands, which is a lot. There's a lot. I mean, that is only 14 million population. There's a lot of Turks there. There's a lot in Austria. 
London history as well. Uh, this isn't just some recent ways of immigrants. This goes back um, two or three generations. It's, it's been a long term. In fact, it goes back further. Turkey and Germany and German-speaking countries have a relationship that goes back to the turn of the last century. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, one of the reasons why the British and the Americans put a check on Germany and ended up creating World War One was that they were determined that um, the Kaiser would stop developing business and trading relationships with the Ottoman, uh, the Ottoman <coughs> Empire and the whole Berlin to Baghdad Railway, which mm-hmm. would have created a kind of a New Silk Road, interesting enough, uh, linking Central Europe with the Middle East. And so the Westerners put a kibosh on that, the Anglophones, and that created World the War Americans I. and the Brits. <coughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, fast forward. So, yeah, so today, it, goes back, it goes back to basically to... to to World War One or pre- <clears throat> prior to World War One, and the, mm-hmm. the uh, f- from the German point of view, it's Germany Nazi or the Germans uh, alliance. The Axis powers at the time, uh, Germany was allied in the First World War with the Ottoman Empire with Turkey, what became Turkey today and Austria. Interesting yeah. enough. Anyway, that's created these relationships that <coughs> over the centuries there are many many Turks um, emigrating to and living in yeah. these European countries, and so. I think, I think under the constitution, I, I presume this is what's going on. I didn't double check this, but the reason why the Turks have been encouraging uh, other Turks in the Netherlands, Germany, and Austria to get out and vote is because they can, even though they're living abroad, they get to vote in this mm-hmm. uh, referendum. And Erdogan is presumably banking on a lot of their support. Mm-hmm. Uh, or not? Maybe. maybe yeah, I think it's, uh, he, he, he he's electioneering, basically. He's electioneering, and <clears throat> he wants their vote. And a, a lot of them probably don't like him, or aren't so sure, or whatever. Or it's some like, of them. It's, like it's, a, it's split, though. It's split, and he wants to win as many foreign Turkish votes as possible. Right. And they, the 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 Germans, the Dutch, uh, basically the EU, the kind of securocrats, bureaucrats, whatever you want to call them, the, the heads of the EU, including you know. In the German government, the Dutch government, etc., don't want uh, Erdogan to come to 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 electioneer effectively uh, for for to, to get people the the Turkish nationals or Turkish Turkish Turks in these other countries in yes. Europe to 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 vote for him. He wants to encourage them, and so does his foreign. He wants to send his emissaries there to, and uh, of course, EU the in these individual states in Holland and Germany and Austria, etc., don't want them coming because they say that you know it'll cause kind of riots or kind of you know, there'd be for and against uh, groups pro mm-hmm. pro and anti Erdogan and that kind of thing. But I think uh, so. The, the big news was that they basically kicked out the uh, they wouldn't let the foreign minister arrive into um, arrive in Austria. I think the other day in, in into the Netherlands. I think it's it's no. That was the family planning minister who was coming to the, Holland. But okay. no, the prime minister actually. I think uh, Davut Haglu or whatever. He was stopped from coming uh, just a few days ago as well. Um, but basically, they, 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 in terms of that family planning minister, who's a woman in the Turkish government, she wanted to come to Holland, and uh, she was basically, she or she was in Holland, and she was uh, prevented from going and speaking at this rally in support of uh, Erdogan and in support of the, the Justice and Peace Party, the AK Party, um, in terms of getting these Turks in in Holland to support to cast a vote for the the changes in the constitution, which are up for a referendum on April seventeenth. And they escorted her out of the country. They stopped her getting into the embassy and 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 escorted her out of Holland over the border in a police escort back into Germany, where she was then put on a plane or, or, or got a plane back to 
yeah. uh, back to Turkey. All, all these things are unprecedented, by the way. For, for relations between two peaceful countries, mm. um, not letting their planes land and not letting them go to their embassies and consulates, mm. that's like, that's a serious faux pas. Yeah. Um, but Erdogan's taking it pretty badly, and uh, the Turkish government are taking it pretty badly. They're saying it's serious. Uh, and, and, I mean, it, they're justified in, in, in this kind of, in their response and their anger to, uh, about this situation because it is fairly unprecedented, as he says, and um, and it's really bad bad behaviour between two countries. You don't do that to each other's diplomats, to each other's the members of, of governments from, from two countries. Um, Especially two NATO allies. Right, especially NATO. But the, the kind of backstory here is that I think... Um, the EU does not want Erdogan to, uh, as you've noticed, uh, since the, the attempted coup in July last year, um, which was Western-backed, inspired, effectively. They they don't want... The, they've been criticising Erdogan, you know, calling him a, a new kind of uh, uh, dictator, or he wants to be a, have his own caliphate, he wants to be a new, you know totalitarian ruler, etc. That's been in the news repeatedly since then. Yeah. They've been very critical of the response that... Uh, Erdogan and his party have taken towards the who they saw as the coup plotters, putting a lot of them in jail, rooting them out all over the place. And these uh, these changes to the constitution, will, which will allow for a um, effectively uh, um, an executive presidency as opposed to a parliamentary uh, system, it basically gives Erdogan more power. It gives him not just as the as the president of the country, not a titular, more, more titular role, but he now has executive power, you know, and he still works with parliament, but he has a lot more power. And this is a, I think this is pretty much a follow-on from uh, last July, from the Erdogan's understanding that he needed to consolidate power in the country, he needed to root out this fifth element that was involved in the coup, that was Western-aligned, and uh, so he did the initial kind of purging of different people and putting people in prison, the coup plotters, etc. Now he wants... I mean, th- these changes have been have been talked about for several years, but they've gained an expediency since the coup last year that we want to do this now, and he's really pushing for it uh, because he wants <clears throat> he wants to have the power to be able to uh, stop the kind of coup that happened, uh, the attempted coup last year, from happening again. And the EU doesn't want that to happen. He, he, wants, con- he wants to regain control of his country. Right. I think I've said it before, there are two Turkeys. Right. There are two Turkish states. And of course, the EU doesn't want that to happen because the EU sees Turkey and has seen Turkey for a long time as this kind of buffer state. They're kind of like lower class Turks. They they look down on them. They're not Western Europeans, and they're just they're meant. Turkey's meant to be just this kind of buffer state between uh, Europe and the Middle East, and it's meant to be you know they're not, they don't. Turkey hasn't been allowed into the kind of elite club or the Western elite club type of thing. They've been roundly kind of like you know looked down on and snubbed and stuff repeatedly. And they're meant to just serve the purpose that uh, that has been carved out for them by the by the Western officials, which is just like I said, a buffer state and just to kind of a bit of a trading partner. But you don't and, get any and special. And keep Russia back from the Black Sea, right? And you don't. Uh, so all of that's changed recently, and they're not very happy with them. So part of the reason for them stopping these people, uh, stopping this electioneering by members of Erdogan's party, and um, is because they're they're anti-Turkey, they're anti-Erdogan. Um, because he wants to make Turkey great again, like Trump, in a certain yeah, sense. They're, they're anti the direction he wants to take things yeah. in. Which is kind of, obviously, the hubris and, and, and arrogance in that is, is palpable. But, uh, but yeah, they're really the Turks are really going bonkers about it, and Erdogan himself is going nuts. Uh, in fact, today, I think, uh, there was a report that in response to this, uh, I mean, it's not directly related, but it's obviously a response to it, Erdogan came out and said that... Uh, Made a statement that the West are the West arms all terrorists in the Middle East. Um, 
he said, what else he said? Although the West still denies this fact, Ankara has documentary evidence of arms deliveries. There also are photos on which terrorists are wearing uniforms of these countries. And that was, uh, that was Erdogan said that today, uh, quoted by the Andalou news agency. So he's basically, he's, he's not... He's not holding back, you know. He's like not leaving out at a diplomatic spot based on what it's actually, uh, you know, focusing on the actual details of, you know, why you won't let us into your country. He's saying, "You bunch of assholes." He, and he's, gonna... he's casting a wide net. I mean, yeah. he's he's uh, he's in a sense he's but, answering now what Biden said, oh, at least two years ago, which when he fingered Turkey as being responsible yeah. for funneling in. So who's right? Well, he's re- one or the other. Well, this is where it comes back to the idea of there being two turkeys, yeah. two militaries, right. two state structures. Right. That was uh, Turkey was effectively a, like a client regime for a long time and has been for a long time. And, Tur- and Erdogan is trying to change that. Like you said, there's a fifth column that has been in Turkey for a long time inside the military, inside the intelligence apparatus, and it's basically been Western aligned, individual Western aligned within politics as well, within the political establishment as well. There's these basically you know, kind of West lovers that have that have made it impossible for any uh, sovereign, indiv- you know, independent uh, political party or or government to form in Turkey to basically chart Turkey's t- course based on Turkish nationalism, essentially. Uh, and there are opposition parties who are dead set against this referendum as well, and they're the ones that, you know, have frequent visits to Washington and all this kind of stuff, the leaders of these opposition parties. So uh, it's it's the EU. This is the EU and Washington and stuff not wanting, trying to screw over Erdogan and his attempts to make Turkey real again, uh, quote unquote. Um, and and the fact that Erdogan turns around and and ups the ante with this statement that the West arms all terrorists in the Middle East uh, points to uh, his understanding of what it's really about. That subtext, basically, this isn't just about a, you know, you're you're not doing this simply because you're concerned of civil disobedience in in, in Amsterdam or in Rotterdam, where I where, where one of my ministers was going to give a talk in support of me. That's not why you stopped her giving the talk and kicked her out of the country, just because you were worried about a bit of you know pro and anti Erdogan um, uh, factions fighting in your streets. You're doing this as a personal slight and affront to me and my intentions, and my goals, my broader geopolitical goals, and what I want to achieve for Turkey. Therefore, I'm going to respond in kind by making it, uh, speaking to the geopolitical uh, uh, on subtext here, which is, you assholes are sponsoring terrorists in the Middle East, and have been for years. I'm going to reveal the big secret again. <laughs> <laughs> now, is it just a coincidence? But it can't be. It's four days until elections in the Netherlands, and this blows up. Just four days, and Gert Wilders is likely to become the next prime minister. Or is very... Excuse me, no, I shouldn't say that. He's likely to win in the polls, but the Dutch have many parties. Um, It's probably going to be split across the board. It most likely would have to be some kind of coalition government. So Wilders is unlikely to win an outright majority and just be able to form a government. The other parties have said they would not work with him. They would isolate him and seek to form a coalition around him, avoiding him. That remains to be seen. But the only the only winner of creating this kind of scenario in the Netherlands at this point in time is surely him. Because this has people up in arms about the evil Muslim hordes taking over our countries, 
just come in here and think they can do whatever they like. No, kick them out. You know, it's got people riled up. And uh, as one infamous, um, I don't want to call him an Islamophobe because his comeback would be something witty and anti-SJW. Um, but as one infamous in- internet uh, commentator tweeted today, the sight of Islamists chanting Allahu Akbar on the streets of Rotterdam surely only benefits Geert Wilders. Dutch election in four days. Well, no duh. He's thinking, yes, fate and chance has just set things up perfectly for the right guy to win. Is it, is it just random fate, though? I, I think I think we, we see the hidden hand here. I think we could maybe be... We need to see now what happens in the French elections. Will something big blow up in France? Something anti-Islam, anti-Muslims? That would sort of nicely pave the way for Le Pen to secure a win. Not that I think she needs it, mind you. But it would be an interesting pattern. Because we now have a very big clue just four days before the Dutch elections somebody on high wants to make a big deal out of Muslims in Europe and therefore secure a victory, if only a moral victory, for the far right, in this case for Gert Wilders. So, yeah. Any other views on that? Well, wouldn't you say that uh, Le Pen is more kind of, yes, she's far right, but... um, I don't know. Somehow she seems less dangerous to me than someone like Macron, for instance, who might market himself as the centrist, but uh, is probably on board more with the neoliberal humanitarian war agenda. Absolutely. Let me clarify something here. It's not that Geert Wilders, Marine Le Pen and Donald Trump. um, And who else is up? The, the um, AFP in Germany, AFD, it's not that those people are in themselves dangerous. They're not going to be the Hitlers bringing in the camps and stuff like that. Um, let me clarify that. It's, it's not that they're the far right. It's that they inevitably bring with them the... Uh, they inevitably make it okay normalize the last 15 years of the war on terror and the hystericization of people in this manufactured clash of civilizations. It takes things to the next level. You know? So it it might not be them personally that uh, introduce extreme totalitarian measures, but it it brings... It, bring, it, it encourages the environment in which such things can happen. You know, and I don't personally, I wouldn't personally blame, uh, I, I wouldn't, I, 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 when it came to Trump, we didn't say people should not vote for Trump because he's far right and all this stuff. And it's the same thing with the European election. It's completely understandable that people, given the conditions they're in now, that people would support the pe- uh, candidates who are anti-establishment. Um. Yeah. So, yeah, vote, I mean, <clears throat> anyway, I, I think I think that the point I want to make simply is that um, people are screwed one way or the other because uh, 
I think the anti-establishment wave across Europe and in the U.S. isn't going to um, isn't going to drain the swamp, as Trump would say. It's it's going to, if anything, just simply reveal the swamp to people and encourage the, the swamp monsters to come out of the swamp and devour everything in sight. Because I I, I can't see how. Um, uh, I'm not sure where to take this now because I've kind of. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm typing here. What are you typing about? Say it all again. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, pe- people are going to vote anti-establishment, and in Europe this year. I think that those parties will probably all win. Maybe not in Germany. Um, I just think that the timing of this Turkish crisis in the Netherlands four days before uh, reveals a hidden hand that would like for countries in Europe to have these parties in place for whatever comes next. Does that sound reasonable? Yes, except I didn't hear what you said. Okay. Uh, Go on, say it again. The, the timing, four days before the Dutch elections, mm-hmm. this blows up. Mm-hmm. And and it brings with it, you know, yeah. Turks are evil, Muslims mm-hmm. are evil in the Netherlands, which is a touchy issue there because, like we said before, there's mm-hmm. nearly half a million Turks mm-hmm. in the Netherlands. So in the Netherlands, when you say those damn Muslims keep coming into our country, you're yep. really talking about the Turks. Right. Um, yeah, and Wilder said that um, in response to this fracas over uh, people, Turkish ministers being kicked out of the country and not allowed to hold rallies and stuff, he said, uh, he's tweeted or posted it somewhere, he said, anybody who agrees with Erdogan, go back to Turkey. Anybody in Erd- any Turks, anyone in, Tur- in Holland who agrees with Erdogan, go back to Turkey. Um, yeah, so he's pushing the kind of like... Uh, Dutch nationalist kind of thing, and this can only play into play into his hands effectively. Where especially the media spin would be demonising uh, uh, the Turks and, and the Turkish government, and thereby, you know, it just basically helps people like uh, Gert Wilders and, and his kind of nationalist, uh, xenophobic um, agenda. You know, and we're not saying that xenophobia is a bad thing in, in that context, in the sense of you know groups of people all hanging out together and stuff and having one civilization and stuff. But the problem is, you don't have it. This is what, this is what these right-wingers kind of forget. Paul Joseph Watson and people like that. You know, it would be nice if, you know, England uh, could be greened again. <clears throat> you know, greened or whited again, sorry. Pasty white. If it could be pasty whited again and only fine upstanding pasty white um, Englishers would live in the, in, in the, in the country. Uh, that's all you would see, and you would have just local pubs selling, you know, taking kidney pie and ale, ale, and you know, growing what what else the English do? Grow roses and. Uh, well, they make and sell weapons to make, every country on earth. They can make and sell weapons and persecute people. I we suppose, can do all that. Is that the English way? Yeah, yeah. You can do all that from a white perspective. You know, you can kill people from a white perspective and only have white people doing it. And basically, England would be English again. That would be, yeah, sure. In theory, uh, I don't have a problem with that, you know. only problem is pushing for that kind of a thing in, in whatever way is a bad idea when 
when you have non-pasty white English people who are actually English people, in fact they're kind of more brown, uh, living in England for decades or in some cases, you know, generations. Uh, stirring it up, it, you're going to cause a problem. What are you going to do? You're going to force them to turn white? Maybe they could get some kind of therapy where they, Michael Jackson, you know, Michael Jackson, their skin, or whatever, and they could all be, you know, they could suppress their cultures, you know, they could, you know, ban all Indian restaurants from England. I mean, the whole thing is just ridiculous, same as Gert, Gert Wilders, you know. I mean, the problem is, what are you going to do? I mean, you could follow Israel as, Israel's example. You could put it all, you know, they don't like the Palestinians, so put them all in a big open-air prison camp. Is that what you want to do? Where are you going to go with this? Well, I mean, take some responsibility for your rhetoric and your shouting and your screaming about the damn immigrants, which by definition includes pretty much everybody who isn't white in a, in a Western country. Uh, take some responsibility for the possible implications of your rabble-rousing for your own society in general. Because, you know, if there's some kind of a serious situation where there's a kind of race war or pogroms or something. It's not going to be, it's not only going to be the, uh, the, 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 the immigrants or the non-pasty white people who are going to suffer. Because that kind of a situation is bad for society in general. It tends to create serious problems within society that, that are kind of uncontrollable and can go somewhere very bad very quickly that it involves everybody, you know? Uh, so, this is the problem. It's nuanced, you know. It's, these people like to like to present things in black and white, no pun intended, uh, <coughs> ways. Uh, but it's not, and it's nuanced. And if if they realised that it was more nuanced, and if they had a bit more sense, and they saw the nuances of it, they wouldn't be so vocal or vociferous in their screaming and shouting about uh, the problem with foreigners. I mean, it's so inane. You know, I mean, the history of humanity has is, is kind of typified by wars against for, foreigners or wars between foreigners and other foreigners, etc. And it's one thing if they live in two parts of, of the world in their own kind of separate countries, whatever. But when you're stoking the flames of kind of ethnic, effectively ethnic strife in your own backyard, you know, where the other the other lives, the other ethnicities live, then you're an idiot, you know. Hello, Elan. They're all going quiet over there. Harrison? Any thoughts? Well, maybe we drop them. No? I don't know. Well, people heard us. I don't know what happened to Harrison and Elan. But that's a good moment to... Uh, we've been on the air for two hours, so maybe we're going to call the, call the night here, folks. Um, thanks for calling. Or for listening, sorry. Nobody calls anymore. You all have to call in sometime and say something. Rant or something, you know. Uh, anyway, thanks for listening, folks. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. Um, and we hope you had fun in the chat room. We will be back next week with another show to be announced. Until then... And hear the music. Until then, have a good one. See you next week.